0: Hi, and welcome. I'm Adrienne Barbeau, actress, author, and star of Two Evil Eyes, The Fog, Creepshow, Swamp Thing, and a lot of other delightfully scary horror projects. And this is She Kills, a Shudder original podcast where we sit down and discuss all of the things we love about the genre that has given women some of the most iconic roles in film history. When it comes to movies, women outspend men at the box office, and women have more screen time in horror films than in any other genre. It's good to know that in a genre of film historically marketed to men, women can find empowerment, escape, humor, and entertainment. I've been making movies for four decades. I've made screwball comedies, family dramas, psychological thrillers, a Best Picture Academy Award winner, And I've made a slew of horror films with more to come and you know what I love making horror films the good ones at least horror runs the emotional gamut for an actress it's so much more fun than playing a judge on law and order horror is flexible it can be funny thought-provoking deeply sad and scary as hell it's one of the few film genres with a little something for everyone whether you want Oscar-winning films like Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, or the sheer entertainment of B-movie bloodfests like Killer Clowns from Outer Space and Zombie Strippers, we love them all equally. We sat down with the hilariously brilliant Entertainment Weekly journalist, Dana Schwartz, a diehard horror fan, and writer, director, and classic film enthusiast, Anna Biller, To talk about all the things fun, femme, and fantastic about the genre we all adore.
1: Uh, My name is Anna Biller, and I'm a filmmaker.
2: Uh, My name is Dana Schwartz, and I'm a correspondent at Entertainment Weekly.
0: To kick things off, we asked Anna and Dana about their first exposure to horror.
2: I was always kind of a wuss with horror movies, where I was just scared to even get into that world. I remember my sister watching Uh, The Ring, my older sister, and I made her describe the plot to me in detail because I was fascinated by it, but I didn't want to watch it myself. And that sort of translated as I got older, I would uh, like read the Wikipedia page of horror movies obsessively. But I love this episode name because I do remember watching Carrie as like, my dad suggested it as like a family movie. He's like, let's watch Carrie. And I think he forgot that the opening scene is, like, almost shot like a softcore porno movie where there are, like, young women in a shower. My dad definitely was like, oh, God, I forgot what this movie was. Uh, But I white-knuckled it through, and I remember loving Carrie and that final reveal, that moment at uh, the grave without spoiling anything. I had never had that feeling before as a young person watching a movie. It, like, stuck with me um, because it was such a smart movie and then integrated... A jump scare in such an intelligent um, way, but it still totally got me. Uh, so I've been trying to chase that high ever since, where like I would watch just a brilliant movie that was insightful and interesting and, and funny, and then uh, could match that uh, adrenaline rush of a jump scare. I think the
1: first horror movie I remember watching, it was on television, and I was a little girl, and it was it's, it's called Horror Hotel, and it's in the British name of City of the Dead. And I didn't know for years and years, I never knew what the name of that movie was, and I was—it's got scared the daylights out of me. And it's this black and white movie from 1960, and it's about these this this, this uh, student, college student, who goes to this town called Whitewater, where there's coven of witches, and she gets sacrificed, and it's the most shocking thing. She's this blonde ingenue, she's completely innocent, and. And she's like literally taken underground by hooded witches who are chanting medieval chants and she's stabbed to death. And it's the most It was the scariest thing I've ever seen. And then there's this, there are like these dead birds that are put on people's doors that are targets of the witches. And it was just, it was so frightening. And then there's this girl, she's like the, her friend that she made in the town that avenges her death. And later, years later when I saw the movie Psycho, I realized it was exactly the same plot structure because the blonde engineer, dies in the middle and then her. it's like in Psycho her sister um, investigates and this it's her brother who investigates with the girl that was her friend. So it's a sibling investigates but it's also the woman who's taking over and it's, you identify the, with the okay. second woman that the second half so it's a very weird thing because it came out the same year. But for years, I was, try- I was like trying to ask, I was like, did you ever see that movie with those pooted witches underground that you- stabbed that girl? <laughs> and nobody ever had seen it or knew what I was talking about. I think a lot. Um, not only that, but, you know, some of the other movies I saw as a kid, like you, like I saw Carrie as well, and um, Rosemary's Baby, and, you know, The Omen, and, and all these movies that were like really, um, you know, really um, scary and mm-hmm and really memorable, mm-hmm. you know, they really stick with you. You know, I, m- my interest is I'm, s- I'm so focused on, on classic movies and I think what I've noticed um, in the last few years is that a lot of the classic movies that I really love are actually the precursors to the modern horror films of The Final Girl. Mm-hmm. They're like the gothic horror and the gothic thrillers um, that are about women's fear of men and, you know, of patriarchy, you know, movies like Gaslight or Rebecca or suspicion or um, sudden fear like these movies that are um there's really like like a, a, a somebody who's out to get them and they're fighting and they fight this man and they fight this evil and they come out in the end and they, they're stronger it's all about following them and so i've recently realized that i think that the final girl figure like from movies like halloween is is actually sort of maybe kind of a continuation of that of that kind of sort of like gothic heroine
2: I'm so glad you brought up Rebecca. I just saw the news of the the remake with Army Hammer, which I love. I'm he's a a perfect Maxim, Uh, but I am obsessed with Rebecca and was obsessed with the book. And I remember reading Rebecca the first time. My the copy I got, it had like uh, like red silk. You know what I mean? So like was framed like a romance novel. And then I read it, not really like knowing that it was like supposed to be a good book, but not really knowing what it was. And it was like such a brilliant horror. Story, And so I think so many of my favorite uh, horror movies and horror books are like insidious in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I have remember reading this brilliant interview with Kazuo Shiguru who wrote uh, Remains of the Day. He, uh, he won the Nobel Prize. And he in the interview, he's like Remains of the Day is supposed to be a horror novel because it is. It's that like subtle reveal of like a psychological manipulation a little bit. And like I'm part of both the reader and the protagonist. So I love in, in film and in books when uh, the horror is like a Trojan horse. You brought up, uh, we were talking a bit about Jennifer's body before the podcast begins. And I do specifically remember watching that movie and Diablo Cody's dialogue is so playful. Uh, I'm gonna butcher the quote, but there's a, a moment where Amanda Seyfried's character, Needy says like she sees Jennifer like trying to attack her. And she's like, I thought you only ate boys. And she's like, I go both ways. And it's just so campy and funny and seemed totally directed to me at that moment. I think I was in my late teens at that time and I had not seen a very stylish Hollywood movie that was so tongue-in-cheek.
1: You're a jerk.
2: Wow, nice insult
0: Hannah Montana. You got any more harsh digs? You know what? You are never a good friend. Even when we were little, you used to steal my toys and pour lemonade on my bed. And now I'm eating your boyfriend.
2: See, at least I'm consistent. So, why
0: Chip?
2: Is it
1: just to tick me off? Or is it because you're just really insecure? <sighs> I am not insecure, needy. God, that's a joke. How could
0: I ever be insecure? I was the snowflake queen. Yeah,
1: two years ago, when you were socially relevant. I am still socially relevant. And when
2: you didn't need laxatives to stay skinny.
1: I am going to eat
0: your
2: soul. I thought you only murdered boys.
0: I go both ways.
2: I do think it's um, that sort of movie, you know, Jennifer's Body Among Many others, where I was like, "Oh, movies are allowed to be fun." Horror movies, especially, can especially uh, criticism can be really a, a boys' club of people who take this world very, very seriously and take their roles as gatekeepers uh, very seriously yeah. of what a horror movie is and should be and should look like. You know what was interesting about
1: Jennifer's body when you read the criticism, initial critics' reactions to it was that how many men like do- like thought it was no fun. Just be- before doing this, like last week, I was just looking over some of the views of it and how many people said it wasn't funny. I thought that was interesting because I feel like the humor actually you, you almost maybe have to be a woman to get the humor because it's sort of lost like like the, re- the realness of the humor is kind of lost to a and so like I think a lot of the <laughs> the horror movies that are made by men are fun for them so the idea is like you, you find like oh this is fun because there's recognition because it's from a woman's point of view it's written by a woman it's fun for so so it's sort of like this idea um, that fun has to do with recognition of something real in your life that you can recognize you know so a lot of the male fantasy horror movies are really fun for men because they recognize oh you know dark forbidden desires for a woman that you're, you're trying to repress and they make you feel monstrous and you identify with the monster and you're tra- you want to kill her but you want to love her and you want to this and you wanted that and you just sort of like it's real for them you know and it's yeah. this way
2: you know that is fascinating because i was thinking earlier that so much of of Uh, horror hinges on vulnerability you know for the audience we have to put ourselves in a vulnerable position and the the protagonist has to be in a vulnerable position because if they're safe there's no nothing interesting if the police exist you have to lose cell phone reception you and so obviously it it serves that the the heroine is uh, culturally vulnerable you know women are when you are the second Mrs. De Winter, you're vulnerable to the <laughs> mm-hmm. whims of, and fancies of your husband. Women mm-hmm. historically, especially and women of color, are the the people who are socially vulnerable in that way. So it always serves to use horror to explore that, and so it is ironic. Yeah, he, yeah
1: and so and so like. So, you know, thinking about why women might be so drawn to horror nowadays, that that could be a lot of the reason. You know, the, that women are centered in horror so much more than in many a lot of other genres. But also, you were asking about you know the catalyst. You know, going to the entertainment industry, and this this might sound incredibly corny, but literally, what happened when I was in school, when I was in film school, and I wasn't sure what kind of films that I wanted to make, was that I actually it was actually Laura Mulvey's essay on the on the gay, so visual pleasure, near cinema. It presented for me a challenge to actually try to create a cinema, a visual pleasure for women. Like, I didn't take it—you know, I just took—I thought, well, first of all, I don't think she's right, because I think that the women's pictures of the 40s and 50s were very much made for women and very much presented female gaze. But on the other hand, I thought— you know, but there, it's true that there is so much of cinema that doesn't take that into consideration, or the or the female point of view is just secondary. So I I took that as a challenge, and that focused my filmmaking in the sense that it gave me like a really I felt like a really important reason to be a filmmaker, other than just expressing random um, images or ideas that were that were just personal. It gave me kind of a, a larger social goal. It made me feel like my filmmaking was about a kind of activism. And then it also made me want to try to figure out like what what is personal, you know, like make the political personal. So like not think about what other people are doing or what other people are making, but just think about who I am, how I feel, what things, what do I really like and why do I like it? And that's actually what led me down the path of realizing that these women's pictures about women in peril were really exciting to me. And that led me to, like, an interest in horror as well.
2: There are very few female journalists who write about horror movies. Mm -hmm. Um, It still very much feels like a boys club and a club that I do not feel like I'm a part of. Like, totally with all uh, candor, I feel like an imposter when I write about horror movies sometimes, which is insane, like... I have grown up watching horror movies. I'm a professional film critic. And yet sometimes because when I write about a horror movie, because I'm not sort of like in that coterie, um, I do feel like I'm on the outside in a way that like my boyfriend at the time was also a a film critic and he writes about horror movies and he knows all these people. He's like, oh, I got dinner with him last week. Like there's this intimacy in the horror community um, that – I don't think exists another film genres that I hope becomes more inclusive to to women over time and gradually. We'll see. I mean for me what's interesting is I, I think
1: that there's a like I was talking about earlier in terms of Jennifer's body, there's a there's a kind of a perception I mean, we're so used to men's stories on the screen. So when you see a woman's story on the screen, sometimes it feels wrong. Like it feels like it's like a, it's like it's it's um words I've heard applied to my work are like unfocused or, you know, she doesn't know what she's doing or, you know, it's, it's badly done. And, you know, I know exactly what I'm doing and I know exactly Mm -hmm. what I'm saying, but it may not be what other people are doing and saying, but it's just that we need, you know, audiences need to get used to more female filmmakers telling stories from a female point of view, because otherwise what happens is that, you know, there's like, you become unconventional just through the fact of not being a man. makes you unconventional or, or, or strange or weird in a way that you're not intending to be. You're trying to be true or honest to a kind of an experience that you're having. So I push back against the male critics a lot because um, I think it's great that they have their own opinions and their own ways of looking at cinema, but they should also be sort of aware of the fact that if a woman does this or she does that, it may not mean what they think it means from their point of view. It's not a movie made. So most people thought it was a movie, interestingly enough, from a male point of view, The Love Witch, even though it's so clearly to me from a female uh-huh. point of view. That was interesting. So for example, a lot of men said it was like, um, my work reminded them of Russ Meyer, which would mean it would be like, I'm, I'm a male director objectifying my actress. And just because they find the actress beautiful doesn't mean that that's my point of view in creating the film. It's interesting.
2: Yeah, especially. So there's this thing in in comedy, I think, uh, has been summed up really succinctly. Uh, Raphael Bob-Waksberg, who's the uh, creator of Bojack Horseman summed this up really eloquently in a blog post, where in comedy, if you're telling a joke, you want it to be as clean and to the point as possible so the joke itself is clear. Like, a guy walks into a bar. Guy is just neutral. There's nothing about the guy. Where if you said, a tall man walks into a bar, you assume yeah. then that the punchline is going to be something about the man being tall. Where if you write, you know, a woman walks into a bar, you would assume that the joke is going to be something about her being a woman, where like, That should not be the case. Man shouldn't be the default, where woman added onto it is a modifier. Uh, But unfortunately, culturally in society, it is. Um, And that's something that I think people subconsciously don't register In terms of protagonists and heroines, yeah. And then
1: you were talking about the boys' club. So the way that manifests in, like, when you're trying to make films, is that sometimes I think a lot of it's the same thing. That there's like kind of there are more female producers now, but there's just still the thing where like a man will read a script, you know, and people read a script on a gut level, you know. It's like does it feel right in their gut? And I think sometimes it's really hard for a man to read a script. On a and have it resonate with them on a gut level if it's all about female experience so he'll just think there's something wrong with the script or it's badly written and so that's that's the biggest obstacle to getting your projects made I think is not see if I wanted to write the, you know the choice to write about women you know I could also write about men I could have male protagonists you know um, and I probably wouldn't have these issues it's not so much that I'm a female writer it's it's more that I'm I'm telling stories that are from the sub, that are about women. Yeah, it's I, more about like who the characters are, and you know what I mean. Yeah, because like Catherine Bigelow, um, you know, she wins the award for a movie about men and war. You know, and that's not a coincidence.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think men are afraid of the same things women are afraid of. I don't think there's um, necessarily empathy there, and I think horror movies, all movies, but horror movies especially, are about empathy because you need to transmit that emotion to a viewer. Uh, Sort of a similar thing happens. I read an article about how obviously few uh, how little representation there is for women and and uh, minorities in writing rooms in late night comedy shows. And that's because people submit the packets blind. But if it's a room of all white men reading the jokes, jokes written from a uh, minority or women female perspective just might not be as funny to those white men reading the jokes as jokes written by people who shared all of their experience. It's a self-perpetuating audience where it's like, well, yeah, if it's all white men who is reading the packets of what they find funny, they're going to continue that that trend of, of uh, refilling their ranks, as it were. I think Scream Queens, uh, that idea, is a way... Uh, to diminish women from the male gaze. I think the label Scream Queen and the way they're presented always in the ripped blouse, the damsel in distress, uh, even if they have that final girl moment and save the day, it's still very much a narrative of women told from a male perspective of what a quote unquote heroine looks like. So I do think sort of the archetype of of a Scream Queen is sort of an antiquated idea. But at the same time, and I do think these two ideas coexist. The Scream Queen is a is one of the only ways we've seen, and one of the most empowering uh, places we've seen uh, women. Uh, of their own agency operate um, with force and intelligence, and they can be sexy and powerful at the same time where their narrative and their story doesn't entirely depend on that of a, of a male protagonist. So I, I think that the idea of a scream queen is overall positive, but I hope it evolves with women at the helm.
1: Yeah, I think you know the Scream Queens is actually sort of a newer concept. It really didn't exist in the classic movies. It had, and it really was more of a ma- making fun of, uh, you know, all the sort of, you know, sexy, pretty, you know, girls in peril. But you know, the whole women in peril thing. Um, In films, there have been really a lot of really incredibly good women in peril films. And the actresses who play them have been really, really great. And like one thing I think about is I'm I'm getting Joan Crawford in here. It's like the movie Mm. Sudden Fear starring Joan Crawford, where she she has this um, younger man who's married her for money. And she's this playwright, and she's incredibly fierce, and, and she's never needed anyone, she's never needed a man, she's never fallen in love, but she's getting a little older and she's feeling like, you know, she's, this is the one thing she's never had in her life. She has wealth and reputation and beauty and brains and everything. She's just never really allowed herself to really be vulnerable. So this, um, you know, total, complete psychopathic actor who she's rejected for one of her plays, she ends up falling in love with him, marrying him. And then she finds out that he's plotting to kill her with his girlfriend, Gloria Graham. And the thing about, you know, you could never call Joan Crawford a scream queen. She's like, she never really, sc- I mean, she may sc- she does scream, I think, at some point in the end. But she's also, like, she turns the tables on him and she's so... Inc- and, she's and Baby so Jane is fierce. scary.
2: I will say that's a very scary movie. Yeah, yeah.
1: But, this is, but this is, like, she's, I mean, but she's not grotesque in this movie. She's beautiful and she's... Um, and she's she's resourceful, and she comes with a plot to actually trap him and get him killed, and 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 she, and you know you can see the the, the 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 wheels turning her mind, and you can see her desire for revenge, and she's able to construct this this elaborate plot because she is a playwright and she knows how to write murder mysteries, and she she finds a weapon, she did, and then in the end she she she's too. She realizes she's become this monster and she doesn't like who she's become, so she doesn't end up killing him. But the other thing is, is that he ends up dying anyway, but, you know, he gets in an accident or whatever. But, you know, the thing is that um, before the Scream Queens, you had these heroines that were women in peril who were so dimensional, so powerful. And the the stories were written about them, but there wasn't this distance or self-consciousness to think about them with this almost derisory way of thinking about them as being made to be in peril or being made to scream or being made to be a damsel in distress. They were just like uh, a great character in a play or in a drama.
2: Yeah, you know, I actually feel that same thing about the original Halloween movie. I think my favorite part of, of the original Halloween is um, there are these subtle moments where Laurie Strode, who's the, the great Jamie Lee Curtis, is talking with her friends about um, a school dance. Then her friend is like, oh, I told him you want to go. And she's so embarrassed. And it's like these very human, intimate moments when, uh, I mean, she's facing off against a, a crazed killer who's murdering her friends and like arranging them in like wacky tableaus for her to find. But at the same time, there's this like real human depth to her being embarrassed about a boy knowing that she wants to go with him to the school dance and like we don't even see that boy it doesn't even matter but like the plot has this real patience with her and with the also, things that I mean, matter It's also
1: her as an actress i think that elevates that you know cuz i i was reading interesting i was reading this book by Molly Haskell about uh, this morning and I, there was this thing in it about how there were a lot of roles for women that were intended to keep women in their place in the classic studio era but how the actresses themselves were so exciting and so compelling and so strong and so amazing that the, that the roles in which the actresses themselves were incredibly fierce and powerful pulling sometimes played against the script even I love that were the ones that are remembered so there were like there were all these movies like we never see anymore like dozens and hundreds of these like really mediocre movies where the women were playing these like dutiful housewives of their life for a man and we don't remember those you know and Betty Davis played those roles and Barbara Ste played those and so we don't remember those films we remember the ones where they were really really fierce and I think it's a it's a bit like that with the horror genre where I think there were some of these films these slasher films where men, we're, we're maybe trying to put women in their place, show them we can kill you, you're, you're, you're dispensable. Or you'd get, you'd get an actress like Jamie Lee Curtis who would play it with so much like intelligence and, and sensitivity and bring the character into, you know, into so much roundness. that That's yeah. what we remember about it. We don't remember... It's, you know, just just the sadism of it as much as we remember that, you know. So it's sort of like these actresses end up kind of transgressing their material or or transcending their material sometimes. And then it it becomes this thing where people are writing Final Girls on purpose because of that performance. And, you know, on purpose, you know, because they see that that's popular. People like that better. And those movies come out better than movies where you just have women as as sort of nameless, sexy victims. And And then that creates another type of
2: movie. And also there is this I think tendency sometimes with lazy screenwriters especially with female characters to go into tropes. And this was satirized in Cabin in the Woods, but woman will be the popular cheerleader, like the awkward book nerd or like whatever. But the thing about Laurie Strode and I kind of liked and I think one of the reasons it holds up so well is like she's popular and she has friends, but she's still like a normal, cool girl in this in this weird way, where she's not. I hate I, the minute that there's like a gorgeous model who's like, I have no friends and no boys ever liked me. I'm like, okay, I'm out. Peace. In thinking about horror, from comedic to slasher, we wanted to know what
0: character or project do they most identify with, or would have loved to have worked
1: on. For me, it it would be like probably like a movie like Repulsion, you know, where um, Catherine Deneuve. Is, is, like, totally psychotic, and um, not that I'm, you know, totally psychotic, but, um, you know, the sympathy so much with her, even though she's a monster, this idea of, like, you know, just, just the things that she suffered and endured and the way that it's made her, and because um, I, re- I really respond strongly to a sort of crazy people in movies, and, it, or, like, um, Deborah Carr and in The Innocents ends up being, like, totally create mad in the end and this is the progression to madness so I really identify with characters like that I identify more with the monsters in movies than I usually do with the um normal people
2: uh I will say when I was watching the movie The Witch and at the end when she signed with Black Phillip I was like girl I would freaking sign that book my family your family has been mean to you for so long they hate you you deserve that floating cabal with the witches I was all on board. I was like, I don't know if this is the right message, but I want to be part of that. I will devour an infant and be part of that great girl squad. Wow. I was rooting for Black Phillip. I, by the end of that movie, I was like, sign the book.
1: I mean, that was a good example of scapegoating in a movie, which you don't see that
2: much. But, um, tch.
1: yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's because
2: it's about a goat. You know, I love Edgar Wright. I think stylistically he's he's brilliant. Um, Shaun of the Dead is a, is a great movie. I wish we got more... Of those, um, There's a a tone that sometimes comes with like buddy comedies where it is a very masculine buddy-buddy tone. And I think we're moving in the world of comedy where we're seeing more female-driven comedies with women who can sort of be friends and we'll see female friendship. Uh, I want to see a female friendship-driven horror movie in a Shaun of the Dead style.
1: So I, I like to see more female characters who are a little bit more complex and maybe a little bit more perverse. I feel like I'm very perverse, and I feel like it, w- women are getting locked into having to play, um, you know, sort of badass bitches all the time in every single movie. And I feel like it's 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 like we don't seeing too many flawed characters anymore, so we're we're losing the sense of women as being um, a little bit more dimensional. I'm wor- I'm working on a movie now. It's an adaptation of the fairy tale Blue Beard and the Get the heroine in it is sort of like this amalgamation of all the gothic heroines and and because of that she is really kind of flawed in the sense that she is strong but she's also kind of perverse because she's married bluebeard and you know she doesn't realize he's bluebeard but the mm. the idea is that that sort of that sort of dilemma of, like, sort of a woman who loves a bad man, you know, like a woman, like women who love too much, or women who stay in bad relationships, or women who are who are complicit in their own destruction. That's a kind of perversity. So I, I'd like to see more more perversity in female roles.
2: Yeah, and I think that that, uh, to go back to, like, the, the buddy idea, also of, like, the letting women be flawed, Um, there's this element when there's only one woman, she has to be all things to everyone. And so I think the final girl, the problem with the final girl is that it's singular. It's like, I want to see a movie where there can be more than one cool, badass female character. Horror movies that pass the Bechdel test.
0: And since we're talking about final girls, we had to ask Anna about the Twitter brouhaha that started after she voiced her opinion on the trope.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that it was because I actually Didn't say. I I think that was a mistake. What I tweeted because I don't think I said exactly what I meant to say. I think it was just because it was a tweet and it wasn't enough characters. I think I'm. I gave the impression that all final girls suck or something, and that's not really what I meant to say. What I meant to say was sort of like more along the lines of what I said earlier about the Halloween movie. Was that most of these male writers and producers aren't putting final girls in their movies because their main goal in life is to create a feminist movie with a feminist character at the end. They're creating entertainment for mass audiences. Um, at least half their audiences are men, and especially young boys, who are, who are very, very um, charged and excited by watching the killing and the violence. Mm-hmm. I was just advocating for a little bit more honesty in a way. I like for people to be honest about why they watch things. Cause so for, so for example, like um, the other thing I got a lot of flack for during that same thread was the fact that I said I'd never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, now I've seen it. Mm. Um, I didn't see it cause I was bullied into it. I saw it cause I wanted to. <laughs> But what was interesting to me was how much I was bullied for not having seen it, like, like a sort of arousing, like as if I'm like some, like I'm 16, like I'm, like I'm afraid to smoke a joint or something. It was very interesting how much, how, how, how upset everybody got that I hadn't seen that movie.
2: People on Twitter you know, love being upset and hollering well, on that. No,
1: but it was weird because I just said, you know, I don't really. I said something kind of snarky, I guess, and that was a mistake as well. Because you know, you have to be careful what you say because people can take it the wrong way. And it was mainly because I am a little bit afraid of really gory movies. That's what, and I, I sort of I was honest about that. Sometimes really gory movies upset me, so I've seen the movie, and you know, basically. Um, the reason I was asked if I'd seen it was in the context of, do you think that's a really great final girl in it? And I said, I can't comment, I haven't seen it. But, like, let's be honest about we, why, why we watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It isn't because we, you know, we're searching for the most feminist character that we can find in cinema and, and looking to, to edify ourselves with a feminist tract. We're watching it for different reasons. And it's about sort of being honest about why we watch things, and I think it's okay to love violence blood gore whether you're masochistic whether you're sadistic whatever reason you want to watch it it's great and, and, and it is entertaining it is strong it is actually an incredibly uh, effective movie um, but I don't think it's the point of it is to be feminist I think uh, there are several feminist horror movies that were made in, in the classic vintage more period is The Stepford Wives The Demon Seed and Season of the Witch are the only three that I can think of that are that yeah, 're deliberately feminist
2: Ana, uh, just to, to push back not even push back like challenge challenge not even challenge uh, st- continue that conversation uh, one thing that i I, I think I uh, slightly disagree with is this idea that like horror movies need to like wa- we will watch certain movies because they're like feminist tracks. I am like an ardent feminist, but I don't necessarily think that all entertainment needs to have. I'm going to phrase this carefully because like Twitter, you know, things. Not no, po- I agree with you. I don't think entertainment
1: yeah. needs to be feminist. And I was very clear about that. In fact, I wrote this long blog post about how very few, very no, few movies no. are feminist and they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be feminist. No, sorry. that Because I, I, they're, they're
2: made for entertainment. I think I misspoke. I guess I'm saying when we're like, well, this is, you know, feminist homework, people push back. But I think there can be like super entertaining mass pieces of popcorn entertainment that have more than one complex female character because also but that women it, are yeah well, but women that are make, watching it
1: yeah you know so so there are two separate issues here one is the issue of whether something's feminist and the other is the issue of whether something is is um, attracts a lot of female spectators and whether female spectators can enjoy them yeah because most of, and and I think they're two separate issues so I never I was never trying I think so what I said was muddled because I I didn't mean to say these movies are not for women. Women shouldn't like them. They're not made, you know, women. And in fact, you know, I can see how people would be insulted by that because it's almost like you're saying women are, uh, you know, scared or they're, they're weak or delicate. And that's not at all what I was trying to say. I was just trying to say, you know, that this is, this is the entertainment industry. And the reason I, I'm, I even said that at all is because I know for a fact just because of being in the entertainment industry and trying to make feminist films for so many years. I know for a fact how little producers in the industry are interested in making feminist films. (laughs) I'm saying this from experience. I just know from being in the industry how little producers are interested in creating feminist films. So I found that it was a bit of hypocrisy when all of these articles started coming out about how feminist all these films are, as if there had been an... it was only an attempt for people to try to tie feminist politics into entertainment that was already out there that had never had that intention. So that was all I was trying to do, is to point out the fact that whether women find empowerment in these roles or not, um, it wasn't like in the 70s male producers were actually trying to create feminist empowerment with movies like Harry. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, as of this taping, there has not been Jason Bloomhouse has not had a female-directed film. So it's like... I fully agree that an all-male club can't take credit for how feminist they are.
1: That's, I mean, that's yeah. really basically what I was saying, yeah. is that the final girl is not necessarily, ri- especially in the earlier films, was not necessarily written in an order to give women a sort of a feminist character to identify with, although that's what ended up happening.
2: <laughs> I would say my, my final summation uh, horror movie thing is just more women in the room. Female characters are great, but that doesn't mean a lot if it's not... Women writing them and women directing them, um, but this has been so great. It's been so wonderful to meet you and and hear your thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to talk to you guys. It's really it's really great, and I, I'm glad I got a chance to um, hopefully clear my name a little bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh gosh, no anything on Twitter about that just... final
1: girl thing because I really I really felt so I really I really didn't I didn't know how to fix it once it happened, you know. But but anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, um, Twitter
2: is its own horror I, re- movie. I really,
1: if, if there are any producers out there listening to this, I have, I have a really, um, you know, fabulous uh, horror script right now that it's going out to producers at this moment. <laughs> thank you. Guys.
0: Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you, Anna
0: and Dana, for a wonderful conversation, and thank you, Anna, for being so candid about your Twitter experience. I'm Adrienne Barbeau, and this has been She Kills, a Shudder original podcast. Executive produced by Blair Bercy, Killian Van Rensselaer, Jordana Freiberg, and Deborah Henderson. Hosted by Adrienne Barbeau. Associate produced by Nancy Himmel. Supervising producer, Cara Frias. Featuring interviews with Anna Biller and Dana Schwartz. Sound recording, design, and mixing by Iceman Audio. Production Sound Mixing and Re-Recording Mixing by Evan Menick. Supervising sound editing and re-recording mixing by Michael Capuano. Composed by Doug Bossi. Music by iSpy Music. Production manager Kay Tinder. Production legal Jordan Rock. Production accounting Stephen D. Smith. For Shudder, Owen Schifflet, Robin Jones, and Nicholas Lazo. She Kills. The characters and events depicted in this podcast are fictional. Any similarity to any actual person living or dead, or to any actual events, firms, places, and institutions, or other entities, is coincidental and unintentional. This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries, and its unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability and criminal prosecution. Country of First Publication, United States of America. She Kills. Copyright 2018, Digital Store, LLC.